You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. All right, welcome everybody. I am joined by Kyle Newbeck and Rich Hoffman. It's been a little while. We haven't done one of these since before the draft. We did a, a whole bunch in a short period of time and took a little bit of a break. Uh, but how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty well. Nice little, nice little non-podcast window we've had here. You, yeah, it has been. Uh, you know, we. I spent a lot of time talking. I'm not a not a big talker. Um, especially at one day, I record like two hours of podcasts in one day, and then I did like another hour of appearances, and I was done. I was done. Um, but I am happy to be back. Happy. I have missed you guys tremendously, and I'm looking forward to this one. As always, subscribe to the podcast on anywhere you want. Go to SixersBeat.com for the links. Check out the CLNS Media app. Uh, you can find ourselves, Real GM Radio, B-Ball Breakdown, and Sam Vecini's Game Theory. Uh, also, a shout-out to our sponsor, Harry's Razors, harrys.com slash SixersBeat. All right, we haven't done one since the draft. So, obviously, they took Markel Fultz number one. We, we knew that was coming. Then they traded up into the first round to draft Anhez Pesechnik at 25th, which uh, well I'll, I'll go with that. That was very, that was very I don't well know done. if it's right, but that's how I'm going to do it until he comes over. It was how said this. So. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, they traded, what, it was the 2020 Oklahoma City pick that was top 20 protected. So they might have ended up just trading three second-round picks for him, depending on where Oklahoma finishes in a couple years from now. But they traded that to to go, and I was a little surprised. I will say, obviously, they then ended up taking a whole bunch of, you know, two more international prospects. They sold a pick, traded the pick, and the two picks they kept ended up being potential draft and sash candidates. So you look at it, and they ended up with Fultz and three international guys. It does seem like, and you can make the argument they may have targeted those second-round picks because they were draft and sash candidates, but it does seem like they wanted Pesechniks. Like, they traded a future pick to get an additional pick. It's a little interesting that they ended up tar- targeting a seven foot two center, and especially one who doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of range on his shot right now. But I'm not gonna, you know, he he seems like a legitimate first round draft prospect. He hit, looks like he has some talent. He's certainly mobile. He can, you know, has a lot of touch around the rim. He can make up some ground defensively. Not a rebounder at all. Not a shooter yet. You hope that can improve. But it does seem like this was a kid they were targeting, which surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess. It was hard to really process everything on draft night and in the days after that because it's hard to get past that whole, hey, they just got the consensus best prospect in the draft and Markel Fultz and everything else is just gravy. Uh, it, it was sort of a strange move to me, although when I saw how huge Pesechniks was in person, I came around on it a little bit because that dude – if he can put together any sort of skill package, is just a massive human being. Like he made, not that Josh Harris is is tall on his best day, but he <laughs> he made Josh Harris look like the Keebler elf. Like it was hilarious how how small he looked next to this kid. Um, and so I was a little more upset not not so much about that move, but about guys that they could have gotten. In the second round, like I think Jonah Bolden is a, a good enough prospect, but I'm not really sure what his purpose is on this Sixers team with 
his skill set and just the position he's going to play at the next level, or not the next level, I guess he was already playing professionally, but in the NBA on a team with Ben Simmons and Dario Saric that are going to play in power forward spots. And I don't necessarily think he's impactful enough defensively that I'd want to gamble on or take him there compared to, like, say, a, a Jordan Bell. But, again, this is all – we're splitting hairs here. Like, I, there, there's not a whole lot to complain about unless you really want to get on a whole rant about them selling picks off. And given what the roster crunch is going to be like, I just – I don't think that's really a, a big concern moving forward. I think they, they have guys that are already developmental projects that – they need minutes, they need time, and they just they didn't really have room for a lot of guys that could get added to this roster this year. I sort of feel like I enjoy um, that I support the process behind the uh, Pesecnich trade because I again like like Derek said I'm not I mean he seems like a real prospect but he, he seems you know I mean really really crappy numbers on the defensive glass. I know he's playing in the Spanish league, which is by all means the the second best league in the world. Uh, and it's, it was announced today that he is going to stay overseas, which is why I don't mind them trading a couple of their picks. It, it really seems like they wanted to target players who weren't going to come over this year. They wanted to, uh, they wanted to keep this roster intact. They have, and it, it makes sense. Like they have enough guys like young developmental wings that are going to need minutes and young developmental forwards like who need to play. So, you know, essentially drafting somebody like Jordan Bell. I mean, I I really like Jordan Bell. Uh, He was probably like one of the two second round picks that I would have actually been a little bit jazzed up for. That said, like, when's he going to play? I don't, I I don't like, I don't see a clear spot where you can slide him in on this team. Now, maybe he proves to be a better player than the rest of these guys. And that's, you know, Maybe that's where the argument is, why are you guys selling these picks? But as far as the rest of the guys, it just seems like they really wanted to take overseas players who they could stash. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am i got to admit, I'm a little disappointed, in part because they traded up to 25 and I'm sitting there. You know, you now have a realistic path where you can get Derek White and Jordan Bell in the same draft, both guys who I thought were legitimate first-round prospects, and you could have walked away with both of them. I like Pesechnik. I like that he's staying overseas a little bit. It gives me another year to learn how to pronounce his name. But I like I have at least a little bit of intrigue around him. Like I, I certainly see potential fatal flaws, and that rebounding is certainly one of them. But I think there's reason to be intrigued. I think he's a, a reasonable first-round pick. But, man, I, just, I don't like passing Derek White. I do think he's a legitimate, a legitimate rotation player. Yeah. And when I was sitting there at 36, and I thought, great, we have our – we have our, 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 our choice between Ojale, Bell, and Jawan Evans. And you could have had two of those guys, and you end up with none of them. You, you, you traded Evans away, and you took Bolden with the – or you, you sold Evans away. I forget exactly which pick they sold. And you took Bolden. And look, Bolden's again. Well, well wait, they, have they traded Evans yet? Or has, has the dust settled? No, it's not not official. officially, but that was <laughs> the yeah. – I forgot about that. I was, I was much more <laughs> bitter about that last week. Again, I don't dislike Bolden. I just happen to like Bell more than him. I probably like Evans more than him. So I'm a little little disappointed they walked out the way they did. And like I said, Pesachnik, Bolden, they might end up being legitimate NBA talent. We'll see. And ultimately, we we tend to fall in love with some of these second-round prospects, and they end up not really doing a whole lot. And Bingo. our hit rate is much lower than we think that, that it really is. Um, but I, I did like White. I did like Bolden. 
and and we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think the Derek, you brought him up. I think the white one is that's the that's what stings a little more because I feel like that was that's somebody that would clearly have fit in great along with what they're building here. That I think has a, a reasonable path towards being a a solid NBA contributor, and instead they and again they have their priorities and all that but that was that felt like a bit of a a missed opportunity but by the same token once you get into the second round we've had this discussion before you're really you're just looking for guys that can play like the Sixers didn't need to draft Rashawn Holmes when they took him they already had a a center surplus at the time but taking him because he's the best talent on the board if not the best fit with the team ended up working out for them okay. So th- that's why it's the second rounder stuff is a little easier to get past. It's it's taking Pesechniks that's a little difficult for me to understand. Yeah, and, and I think that the, my main point is, is one that Derek had. I, I can't get too attached to individual second round prospects. Like, I like Juwan right. Evans a lot. That guy's quick as hell. I, I could definitely see him being a good backup NBA point guard. I'm not losing any sleep over passing on Juwan Evans. Like, it's just, it's so much of a guessing game at that point. And even guys that the Sixers hit on, like a couple years ago, they drafted Jeremy Grant and K.J. McDaniels. That's a reasonable drift. I'm not losing sleep over the fact that K.J. McDaniels and Jeremy Grant are not on the team right now. Yeah. You are not the right part of alt Sixers to lose sleep over that one. Um, (laughs) I think it's so easy in the second round to find one or two guys that you just fall in love with because – it's so it's so uncertain and there's so much guessing and it's easy to kind of convince yourself like look I don't know there's 18 of these prospects might end up being nothing but this guy I absolutely love and you spend a month talking about it and that's kind of the way I was with with Jordan Bell so it stings but ultimately I'm probably wrong like I think I think if you fall in love with the second round prospect just go into it with the I'm probably wrong mindset and you'll end up being right that you're you're wrong more often than you're not so way we'll more see. often um, I will say, Bolden, his success surprised me because you talked to people around that UCLA program last year. They did not predict this kind of turnaround with him. And hopefully he went overseas, gained a little bit of maturity, maybe took uh, took it a little more seriously. But there's, I mean, there, there was a lot of concern around him with that program last year. He said he went over there because he wasn't happy with the role and, and with his touches and his position that he was playing. And, yeah, I talked to a lot of people, not necessarily around the team this time, but a lot of people who cover the draft who thought there might have been some eligibility concerns. But he certainly, I mean, he played worlds better overseas and really showed some development to his game. He does have a very intriguing skill set, and he would not have been the first immature 18- or 19-year-old to kind of grow up a little bit. So, I mean, he's a reasonable gamble. He's here actually for Summer League. Uh, Doesn't mean he has a contract. He is still under contract overseas. They're probably working on getting him out of that, or at least he is interested in getting out of that. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But he is, uh, I mean, he, these are all reasonable gambles. Pesechnik, Bolden, I mean, I mean, these are guys that you take bets on. So, like Rich, I don't want to split too many hairs over over the second-round pick when at the end of the day you're walking away with Markel Fultz. Right. Yeah, and I, I think at the very least, I think Bolden makes the summer league team a little more interesting because I was looking at that, that group they're sending, and outside of Fultz and TLC, there is a... Uh, it's not a lot there as far as uh, players who are going to really help Fultz settle into a groove. So I at least think Bolden could be a credible partner yeah. for Fultz in the pick and roll. 
I'll tell you what, surrounding Fultz with guys like Briscoe and Mellow Trimble, it was an interesting way to build a summer league team. Like a lot of times you'll see you'll see teams build it with prospects they really think have a chance of making their roster. Looking at the depth of this team and the depth of this roster, I can't imagine they really think Isaiah Briscoe or Mellow Trimble are going to walk out of here and make the you know make the the 15 man roster once the season comes around. So at that point you look at it and you say, okay, how can I surround Fultz with guys who will help him kind of succeed and put him in a role that that will vaguely resemble what he's going to do in the uh, in the regular season. And these guys are not that. No. Bad summer league construction. <laughs> <laughs> Poor. The kind of stuff we complain about in late June. I, um, all right. Let's, it was funny, though, today. Uh, I mean, like, when we were uh, we were just kind of goofing around while waiting for guys to do interviews, like, I was like, is that a Harrison twin who just walked by here? It was just, it's it's a bunch of really random players, for sure. Um, well, and they didn't they didn't give you the we got the rosters when we walked into the building, which is very weird. Usually you get that the day before or a couple days before even. But there was no like Rich said, you walked in, you didn't know who was on the summer league roster yet, which is strange. They uh, I, I'll save this rant for our next podcast because I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about summer league. But uh, it very much reinforces the point that as much as we hand ring over who's playing in summer league and get excited over summer league is that summer league basketball is terrible. No, I am I'm not not looking forward to to next week's beginning of summer league. Let's put it that way. Well, other than faults, obviously, but that that'll wear off pretty quickly once I see the guys around him. I just saw Scott Howard Cooper's first rookie ladder. Simmons number one, but then Ball, Fox, and Dennis Smith with faults at five. Wow. I don't know where that's coming from. No respect. Seriously. Mark Foss is going to favorite, or I guess like that tweet, and uh, just use it as fire if, if his history is any suggestion. Seems like he just doesn't think he's going to get the ball enough just glancing through his write-up. Anyway, um, we we have plenty of off months to debate how well Mark Foss is going to do in Rookie of the Year race. Um, all right, moving on to free agency. So there's been a couple of big names that have been thrown out there. Some big, some not so big. But it seems like most of the rumors are centered around JJ Redick, obviously. They've been he's been rumored as a target since last winter. Andre Iguodala, which is much more recent. Carmelo Anthony, not even that the team is interested in Anthony, but that Anthony is potentially maybe kind of interested in the Sixers because it's not too far from New York, which seems like Seems like the best way to build a rumor, but anyway. Uh, Ryan Anderson, which I think that rumor might be dead because they were using looking to trade him so they could sign Chris Paul rather than trade 475 players for him. But, I mean, ultimately, I think if you can get out of Ryan Anderson's deal, they'd probably be willing to do that. And then Ben McLemore. So let's just start off. Do any of these guys have a realistic chance of being signed by the Sixers or agreed upon by the Sixers when July 1st comes around? Uh, so, I think they'll go after J.J. Redick. The question is more so. And so, I would say, yes, there's a realistic chance for him. I don't think it's a huge chance. I would, like, he's going to have, like, we talk about this all the time. Every team needs shooters. And that guy has been a an elite or right below elite level shooter for the majority of his career. And he could help almost any team in the NBA by going there. So 
I don't know if he's going to want to come to Philadelphia because they're they're not as close as maybe recent hype has made it seem like they are. Now that being said, going from a team like the Clippers team that he just left, where I'd have to check the numbers, but I want to say he was shooting somewhere between three and five, probably closer to five threes a game with that team. And playing with this specific Sixers lineup, I could see him getting eight or nine three attempts per game. Like I think he would get that many open shot opportunities playing with creators like Fulton Simmons and with a center like Embiid. So I do think there is some some value there. I just don't know if he would take a, a market-level contract to come here because the Sixers aren't quite at that stage where guys are going to give up prime years in their career to be part of a, a rebuilding project. So the other one, I guess, would be semi would be very realistic is Ben McLemore because he's going to go anywhere there's some interest in him because he's not a good basketball player. The, the 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 better question is would the Sixers even have interest in him? And I personally don't. I don't think he's very good. I think he's despite being a decent athlete, he's a bad defender awareness wise. He hasn't been as good a shooter in the NBA as you would have expected him to be coming out of college. I think he's just over 35% for his career, and that has gone up in recent years, so maybe that lends you some hope that he'll he'll be better moving forward. But I just haven't really seen enough from him that I'd want to give his minutes or take minutes away from guys like TLC or I know this is still a – a distant possibility at this point, but Furkan Korkmaz might come over. I know there's been some buzz that that's an increased possibility now. So for guard free agents, I don't know that my interest is as high because they have so many guys that, that need to get touches and minutes already. And I'd almost rather just sort of not to use an old term here, but kick the can down the road for another year or so and then see where the dust settles in 2018. Can I just say, Kyle, the entire time you were talking there, somebody took a video of – it's not the one that Rich was talking about, but it was a, he, he did the off-the-backboard dunk thing that guys like to do. Yeah. It just – it looked like he's on a damn nerf hoop. Like, he's – it's so – he's such a ridiculous human being, Embiid. And I spent the entire time of you talking with that on a loop. <laughs> it was funny. Rich and I – because Rich and I have both said this at various points. Like, aren't we past the point where we talk about Embiid working out, where we tweet about it, where we take videos of it and pictures of it? And we've both expressed that sentiment. But then at the same time, and we're there today, you know, interviewing guys, the entire time we're captivated and we can't take our eyes off of Embiid. So if we can't take our eyes off Embiid, why would fans be over that? It's He's an amazing human being, man. He is incredible. Yeah, that guy is, that guy is something else. But, and that, but, but to that point, that's why a lot of these free agent decisions seem kind of, I don't want to say it's silly, but to obsess over it right now and feel like the team needs to commit to any big investments right now, I don't think is a very good idea because things are so uncertain with the core. Like I know we have an idea of what they in theory are going to be as players, but I would much rather see all of them on the court at one time and have just run it back with the guys that are already here to an extent. And once you get a, a year's worth of data, or even if an opportunity comes up at the deadline, 
and you feel comp- confident after a few months worth of games together, then let's talk about acquiring some impact guys. I uh, I tweeted out today that he was doing, you know, sh- drills coming off of a screen, three pointers uh, coming off the screen, curling off the screen with uh, with Stauskas and Covington, and I tweeted that he was he was doing that with them. And you know, Rich and I probably joked at first. You're like, why would why would Embiid be doing this drill? And then you realize he probably wasn't. He just kind of butted his way in there. But somebody somebody responded, shoots like Steph, big like Hakeem, and it's you know, pretty close, pretty close. <laughs> they had him they had him running off Iverson cuts in the same way that maybe JJ Redick would, and he was doing it really well. Now, as far as like Redick's concerned, as far as like the five guys you mentioned, there, I, I think the only realistic guy is Redick. And um, I, I've seen a, a little bit of pushback from Sixers fans. One, I, I think that's natural because he's been the overwhelming name that's been rumored to go to the Sixers. And I definitely do agree that he has some interest there. I uh, th- There's been a little bit of pushback, but I love that fit. Like, sure, defensively, he and Fultz, I mean, that's the new Lillard and McCall. Like, opposing backcourts, I mean, their eyes are going to light up when they get the, when they get to play him. Now they might not light up because of that seven foot two monster we just talked about. Quite quite as bad as Portland, but yes, defensively that poses a lot of problems. But man, I just think like the Sixers need shooting, and Reddick's three point percentage does not do justice to the amount of gravity he has, the attention and strain he puts on a defense. Like the Clippers, absolutely were the best offense in the league the past couple years. Them and the Warriors. And, I mean, I think the biggest reason, obviously, is Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan were so good running the pick and roll. And then they also had, hey, they had, they had Blake Griffin just kind of hanging there. But Redick shooting, don't discount that. Because him running off a screen and defenses not being able to leave him gave those guys so much freaking space to move with. And just giving guys like Fultz and Bede and Simmons, which is kind of funny because it's sort of like Paul, Jordan, and uh, and Griffin, that they're sort of good comps there. It, I think it would be great, and it would give them the amount of space for them to grow their offensive games. As far as, like, is that going to be realistic, though? The Nets are the team that I think is going to screw that up. Like, it only takes one asshole, right? I think the Nets are going to be pretty big assholes, and they're going to pay him a lot of money because they're more in a position to do so with uh, – with sort of lower stakes in this free agency. They just need players. And obviously for a couple of years, their assets aren't going to be all that great. I mean, Redick, I know he has an apartment in Brooklyn, and it just seems to me like they're going to offer three or four years, when in the Sixers' case, I don't think you can go above two years for a player like Redick. Man, if you want to talk about Lillard McCollum comps, D'Angelo Russell, J.J. Redick would be an absolute tire fire on defense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but just just in general with somebody like Reddick, the years are more important than the dollars. Like, if they were going to give Reddick two years and, I don't know, something like even like $45 million, I wouldn't Ooh. have that much of an argument. I, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I just – unless you think they're going to make a big splash next year in free agency and there's somebody – who they can sign uh, to a long-term contract, I I can't really argue. It's the, the good thing with the Sixers here is they have a lot of options where I'd say, okay, 
that's reasonable. The, the main thing, I just don't want them committing long-term money to a player who's not worth it. And, I mean, this would be that. Now, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Like like you said, Kyle, I, I also wouldn't argue too much if they just punted. Because we talk all the time about how many players they have in the front court. They got a lot of dudes on the wing, too. They might yeah. not have quite the high upside as the dudes in the front court, but they got players who they're invested in on the wings. Yeah, I think I think the years are the real big sticking point, like Rich. Um, I think there's a case to be made. If you can find a reasonable path where this team wins 40, 40 games this year and then 50 games, take a, a really big jump as Embiid ends, enters his third season, as Fultz and Simmons enter their second season, if they can then make a jump to 50 wins, and then take that money, take Reddick off the books, and take that money and try to make a splash in the summer of 2019 just before Simmons and just before Shards end up getting their payday and a year before, or well, two years before, Fultz gets his payday. Like, I think 2019 is a reasonable free agency period to try to go out there and target. And if you can get a guy like Reddick to make them a more desirable target between now and 2019 free agency, I think there's a, a case to be made for that. And I'm not. I'm okay with putting Fultz in a spot where, you know, that gravity, that spacing will help him. Where Simmons, it will help him. And you can establish these guys as real forces early in their career. So you can then make that. It really does. So much of this is based off of making one major move before you get cap holds on Sharch and Simmons, which basically take you out of the running for free agency. So I think a lot of my strategy goes, okay, look, is there that guy out here now? No. So how can I maximize the chance that in 2018 or 2019 I can get that chance. And part of that is carrying that money over, but part of that is also making an attractive attractive destination. So if you're going to tell me there's nobody out there really now, then Redick, you know, yeah, maybe his 20, 25 million, whatever you want to pay him for 2018, 19, that will hamper you a little bit in 2018, but it might make you a much more attractive destination in 2019. I would do that. I don't think you're going to get him for two years, though. I think like Rich, Brooklyn is going to come in offer a three- or four-year deal. Same thing with Iguodala. I would even be okay with Iguodala on a two-year deal, even though I worry about his back and his knee and, and all of his ailments at 33 years old. But a two-year deal, once again, I can get behind. I just think it makes a lot more sense for a team like you know, a team like Golden State or another contender to go out there and give him a four-year deal, which I'm worried about. Yep, it's the years, not the dollars. I'm not I'm not too worried about it. It's, and, and that's the... That's the uh, line that the Sixers are going to have to to figure out. I mean, how much further does Redick, you know, like that's the other thing in the caveats. Like, how much better does Redick make the team? I don't know. I I think he'd make them a lot better offensively. Like, let, let let's be honest. Offense is the main area that this team has to improve. I mean, they've been thirtieth in offense for forever, and with Embiid healthy, I'm knocking on wood, you know, right now, with him healthy. I'm not sure, like, I feel like if I played in the backcourt, we'd still be close to a an above-average defense. <laughs> like, I mean, that guy is a – he's an elite defender. And if he plays, I think he's in that Rudy Gobert stratosphere where it's like, all right, if he's on the floor, like, you're not going to be bad defensively. So how much better does Redick make your offense? I think he might be able to make them a lot better. But, you, I mean, there are other there are other places you can go to get shooting if, if you don't want to give the years. Like, there – if they decided Patty Mills was worth a two-year deal, again, I'm not sure I could really argue with it. You know, it's just just keep uh, keep the books clean for 2019. I like how you said a big splash. Uh, Clay Thompson is sort of the dream free agent in 2019. Oh, um, 
and that would be pretty cool. But and that's obviously way too. I'd like to say that was intentional, but it wasn't. Yeah, and that's a little. That's way too far down the line to be thinking. But obviously, the Warriors are going to be pretty expensive at that point. Um, yeah, just keep the books clear for 2019. And there are a lot of things the Sixers could do that I would wouldn't have really any argument with. Well, so to piggyback off that, Rich, since you brought up Clay Thompson, do you think would part of the value of bringing in a Redick type player now be that the 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 boost that he gives the team in this two year window? is big enough in order to entice a guy like Clay Thompson in a couple of years? Because the thing for me with these free agents is that I don't know that you really the, – the Sixers aren't playing for the next two years. They're playing for three, four, five, six, seven years down the line. Like That's, that's when the things are really starting to come together for, for them. And I, I think it's inarguable that if you put more shooters on the floor, it's going to help them develop mentally. But I guess what my concern would be, what or what are the unintended consequences of, not like we keep talking about Redick, but any of these guys coming here, like what does that do for the development of less heralded prospects that are currently on the bench, but maybe one day they end up, you want them to be in starters roles or at least playing heavier minutes roles. And it, so it's it's trying to balance that. And this is the first time that Brett Brown has really ever had this problem where if he was handed a, a, a veteran free agent of that caliber and now that the expectations are, look, they're going to be competing for the playoffs next year, there are going to be real decisions that have to be made and real juggling of egos, whereas – before, when they have a roster that's all young guys and are all really got, a, I think, a, a more than fair allotment of minutes and opportunities, that sort of friction wasn't there before. So I, I guess that would be the only thing that I would consider aside from the obvious things like the years and not necessarily the money like we talked about already. But I think there's a, there are a lot of things to consider that maybe aren't so clear from where we sit right now. Sure. And any shooting guard, I mean, just, just run through the young players, TLC, Stauskas, um, Korkmaz, possibly Justin Anderson will play the two, three. Like, all right, if you sign Redick, you know, that's, you know, that's 25 to 30 minutes per game that those guys can't play. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like, that that has to be so a consideration. Let's, let's be real here. Do we really care if Justin Anderson gets his minutes? Yeah. Or even Nick Stauskas? Well, I I wouldn't say I'm like a super concerned about Stauskas, but I do think he. We talked about it before last year. He's an interesting player to have alongside a Ben Simmons. Now, now that you have Markel Fultz, who's like the the most souped up version of that dynamic possible where you have a guy who can handle, score, shoot, do all that, and defend point guards, which Ben Simmons shouldn't be doing, although I don't really know what's going to happen with that yet. But I think you at least have to consider it. I, I certainly think J.J. Redick is a much better player. But, again, and this is about how much better is he making the team and how much better is the, I guess, the development cycle for the likes of Embiid, Simmons, Fultz with – Redick in here. Like if, if you if you your argument is 
Redick makes that that much easier for them, that it's significantly better for those guys. I could buy that and then sign me up for signing him, but I'd have to, to really think about that and weigh a lot of a lot of different factors before making that call. I mean, lo, let me put it this way. If Reddick comes in here and I think they can get to 50 wins by the end of the 2018-19 season, I'm very okay losing Nick Stauskas and Justin Anderson as casualties of that. I'm very okay sure. with that. Oh, part I don't I care about too. Justin Anderson. I think we can – that's a pretty strong stance on this podcast. Let's throw him out. And I mean, if you know, if, if that gets you, like I said, to 50 wins, wins a lot, it man. gets you to Fultz in two years. I'm not talking next year. I'm talking in two years. And if that gets Embiid and Simmons and Fultz realizing their potential earlier, I do think that goes a long way to making you a much more attractive destination. And – I do think you can still get minutes for the guys that you really care about in terms of TLC and and Korkmaz if he does come over. So I'm not, you know, I'm not that worried about Reddick stealing minutes. I don't think the the depth behind him is to the point where I think it's it's if this were four years ago when you had no real base yeah. and you had nothing to really build upon, I would have I, I would side with you much more. But I'm 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 pretty. You know, I'm, I'm not too worried about the minutes, what I say. I mean, these, these other kids, the TLCs, who I think you want to get at the very least 15, 20 minutes next year, I still think you can develop with that kind of time. And and Korkmaz, who is, I mean, quite frankly, he's not he's not ready. Even if he does come over, he's not he's not ready for serious minutes at this level. You might end up giving it to him just to give it to him. But, uh, you know, if he ends up playing a little spot minutes, a little bit in the D League, I think I think you can still develop the guys you want to develop, and even so, we have to realize these are still twenty fourth and twenty six picks in the draft. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I also want to say I'm not saying that that is my stance that they shouldn't they like it's a hard line that they shouldn't bring a JJ Redick in. I was just wanted to to throw that out there. And I like the the, the one really great thing about the guy their their core pieces is that you can experiment with a lot of different lineups, especially because you're going to be able to stagger your playmakers in Simmons and Fultz to the point that, look, if Fultz is out of the game and Ben Simmons is really more of the the true point guard that has been alluded to sometimes, you're going to have a lot – you're going to have guys that can – like a TLC might be in the game and is your nominal – one, because he's going to be guarding opposing point guards, potentially. And then you have shooters elsewhere. You might have Rashawn Holmes as your backup, whatever you're going to do there. I, I think there are going to be all sorts of lineup combinations that regardless of who they bring in, they'll be able to creatively work all these guys in. Hey, and if anything, Reddick will bring another competitor into the already oversaturated Sixers podcast market. Too, he's uh, he's got a pretty good pocket. Um, yeah, and obviously too, you know, this is a subject that we kind of stay away from, but it obviously means something to the uh, the coaches and the the people who it actually affects. Like Reddick is by all means, like by by all accounts, a, a really good guy, and he's like the type of veteran leader that they would theoretically that could show some of these guys how to be pros. And I, you know. I don't know how much value to put on that, but there definitely is some. Sure. Yeah, I, he's a he's so a pro's no, pro. No, so no real uh, no real interest in Ryan Anderson. No, that contract is pretty bad, man. I, I, it's I don't, brutal. It's very. 
I was surprised. Some people really liked him. And look, I get he. I mean, he's a very legitimate shooter. I get that. Uh, I don't necessarily like the fact that he is strictly a four defensively, but he is a very good shooter. But at twenty million a year for three years, no bad okay. position. Too many years. Yes, very, very much so. Uh, what was what was the other one? Carmelo Anthony? Do we want we want Carmelo here in <laughs> If Philly? he's taking the vet minimum, sure. He he supposedly would if he got bought out by uh, and went to Houston or one of those teams that they've been in the. That's been rumored the last few days, but now I mean, I said this earlier this week. I think if Carmelo Anthony was coming here a few years from now, and he's like it's on his last legs, Carmelo Anthony and the Sixers core has already solidified and proved themselves as, Hey, we are like the new wave and we're going to be a threat to contend in the NBA. And they have a clear leadership structure. I think it's one thing then to do that and bring in a player like Carmelo, who I feel like at that point in his career might be more prone to taking a, a back seat, but current Carmelo Anthony even if the money was right, I just don't think he's a good mix or the right type of veteran for them to bring in. Like Number one, a lot of the areas he operates in are areas that some of their best players are going to want to be in. So that'll be a space-clogging issue. He, he can space the floor better than, than they can, but I don't think that totally alleviates that problem. And I just think he's going to expect to be – a bigger part of the offense and want the ball in his hands too much to a, to a point that it will be detrimental to the development of the young guys. So uh, it's a pretty hard pass for me for now. I'll echo those sentiments about as forcefully as I'll, this is pretty much the hottest take I'll ever give. I would not sign him for the vet minimum. Oh man, that is forceful. I'm right there with you, Rich. I want no part. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. He, he, um, I love watching him in the Olympics. Great American, as far as I'm concerned. I, uh, I respect how much, how he was able to win and wait out Phil Jackson. I really respect that. The way he got treated was garbage. That was great. By Phil Jackson, I want no parts on parts of him with young players. You just, I just don't like the way he plays, man. No, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, he has gotten better as a shooter later in his career. He's certainly shown in international play that he can he can play a reduced role in that environment. I'm just not sure if he comes into an environment where he's got a second year in beat and two rookies, whether or not he's going to defer like he did there. And when he's not, he's a very different player. He's a guy that I don't want stylistically on the team. There's certainly been enough problems in locker rooms that he's been in. Look, you will not find anyone who is as down on – well, I'm not going to say that because everyone's down on Phil Jackson's uh, – executive career but I mean that was a train wreck of a situation and a lot of that probably out of his control but there's been enough you know enough kind of sniping in the locker room over his over really the entirety of his career that there's just a little bit of risk bringing him into an environment like this where there's not I mean it Embiid's a he has a strong personality but he's he's still I mean he's still only 31 games into his career I just worry that that um, Anthony would see it as it as an opportunity to make it his team again Oh, yeah. And Derek, you bringing that up about Phil, like, what do you think he think after you went a power struggle with a guy who has won as much as yep. Phil has? And despite the fact that the Knicks have been a train wreck for 
most of Anthony's tenure there. After you come out of that on the other side having won, what are you supposed to think other than, okay, well, I got my way and I'm going to continue to get my way? There's, there's no reason for him, like, if the Sixers were to acquire him, there's no reason for him to come here and think, man, I just got humbled and I need to change what I'm doing. Like, in his mind, that's that's validation of of who he is and what he wants and what he wants to do. So I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he would come here and suddenly just be the guy who's going to fit in and be Olympic mellow up amidst a bunch of young guys. Did uh, did everybody see the Frank, the, the fake Frank Nilakina account? Yes. That was hilarious. The middle finger at uh-huh. Phil Jackson. Yeah. I was so disappointed when I found out that was a fake account. I was so disappointed. I wanted that one to be true. The Knicks are the, the Knicks are the best, man. Uh, drafting Frankie Nicotine because really he's a triangle fit, and then basically ditching the triangle five days later—it's just fantastic. Which do you remember that one day with uh, uh, Zagoda? Uh, Zagoria, yeah, Zagoria. Yes, Zagoria. Yeah, I was—I was confusing him with the Minnesota guy. Yeah, and every question was, "Well, did, did they have you run in the triangle <laughs> when you're up in New York? Did they have you run in the triangle?" And every answer was, "Yeah, that's all we did all day." <laughs> We learned the triangle. We practiced the triangle. We talked about the triangle. Here he is, six days later, gone. And don't 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 take that the wrong way. He should be gone. He deserved to be fired. But why the fuck did you allow him to run that draft process? And I get, I get some of the stuff with Porzingis was new information. But man, you all you needed was a, the Noah contract and the Rose trade to get him out of here. There were some good tweets uh, pretending, you know, basically painting the picture of Dolan at his JD in the straight shot gig, you know, basically telling Phil, hey, the bloggers came to my gig. The, the writers came to my gig. That's all I care about. I Look, <laughs> you can do whatever you want, but I don't want people coming to my gig and ruining my band. Uh, and it, that's that kind of seems like what it was, to be honest, because, I mean, that, that decision should have been made much earlier. So so good, good for the Knicks fans. Now they have to start at ground zero again. But At least they still have Porzingis. They do. Well, and and to Jackson's side, he will now have more time for Nets. Yes. That's good. Uh, all right. If you had to, that, of course, a reference to Phil Jackson falling asleep in the middle of a draft workout, which, again, the guy you want leading your draft, the uh, pre-draft process. At least he didn't do it over Skype. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. If you had one off-the-wall prediction for this summer, what would it be? If you don't have one, that's fine too. But is there anything that kind of you're thinking has a chance of happening that maybe is a little off the beaten path? I don't really. We're not a predictions podcast. After after last year when we uh, we made the Embiid predictions and then Embiid just made us all look like assholes for how much we undersold what his production would be. Do you remember what the Vegas – over under was it was like nine points uh, and seven rebounds. Yeah, it was absurd, and uh, it looks even more absurd retrospectively. Uh, give me a minute to think here and see if I have any hot takes about this summer. I did. So, to, to be clear for the listeners, I didn't bring this up before the podcast at all. I sprung it on him hmm. without any any warning whatsoever. Well, Jaleel Okafor got a haircut, so maybe he thinks maybe he thinks new hair maybe that'll make him more attractive to other teams. I, I just don't. I want to say that he'll be um, 
he'll be traded, you know, and that that's the one big move the Sixers will make this summer. But, God, you just, like, look at every team and you keep going down the list, and I, I just can't see a team that really needs him. Maybe the – I mean, this is stupid just because it's his hometown but and they're rebuilding, but maybe the Bulls that, – that's really the only off-the-wall thing I could see the Sixers doing. That Okafor marking in front court would be a sight to behold. <laughs> I guess my bold prediction that I'll go against the grain. I'll say Jaleel Okafor is here until at least the NBA trade deadline in 2018. I can see it, man. And it's it's not yeah. something I'm going to be pleased about, as has been documented far too many times on this podcast and elsewhere, but that's what we're dealing with. Fun. No, not fun, Derek. Well, I think that's probably about it. That's all I got. Thank you guys for jumping on. Uh, We'll talk to you soon, and have a good one. Adios. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. 